if there is a God, and there is, and He made man in His image, which He did, then it stands to reason that God who made man in His image would have a way of communicating with man that He made in His image. This morning I want to do something. I want to look at Psalm 19. And I've really come to say what I want to say at the end. Alright, so we've got some room to cover before we get there. But I've really come to say what I want to say at the end. But we need to get there. And so be patient with me, and we will. I want you to think with me this morning about God and about creation. I want you to think this morning with me about the way that God communicates with us through His creation. It is fascinating to me to look at the world. It's fascinating to me to look at the universe, and I suppose it is for you too. When you take a moment just to stand and to think about God and to think about heavens and to think about this universe, the world that He made. Yesterday morning I was driving in the dark and I was driving in a direction where I could see the moon. And I don't know if you were up yesterday morning and you saw the moon, but you, you know the moon, it has all these cycles and you know about the cycles of the moon and it seems that when the, the moon is new, it's dark and then it works its way across And from the side, you can see the crescent. Yesterday morning, the crescent was on the bottom. When I looked, the crescent was on the bottom, and it was unique, and it was different. And I was thinking, what is going on? And it's as if there was an eclipse, and I didn't look it up. Maybe there was yesterday morning. But you could see the bottom of the moon, and then you could kind of make out the outline of it in its entirety. It was neat. It was cool. And you sit there, and you think... God made that. And in a way, that's exactly how He communicates with me. He wants me to see that, and He wants me to think immediately of Him. Scientists say that we live in a galaxy that is 20 billion light years from one end to the other. That is, if you're traveling the speed of light, 186,000 miles a second... It's going to take you 20 billion years to get across just our galaxy. And we're not alone. I mean, ours is not the only galaxy that exists. And what's amazing to me is, as technology increases, scientists tell us there's so much more than we can even imagine. Somebody made that. God made that. And I want to think about Him when I look at His creation. God communicates with us today in two ways. And this morning I want to begin by looking at the first. His creative revelation. Keep your Bibles open to Psalm 19 and let's just work our way through for a minute. In Psalm 19, in verse number 1, a psalm and verse that we look at often, the Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utter speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. The psalmist says, the heavens are talking to you. The heavens have a voice. The heavens are speaking to you. In verse number 1, the psalmist uses this word. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens are speaking. They proclaim the glory of God. They are telling the glory of God. They are recounting the glory of God. 
That same word is found many times in the Old Testament, that same Hebrew word. One of the occasions is in uh, Genesis chapter 40 and verse 8. Genesis 40 and verse 8 is a familiar account of Joseph. He has been sold into slavery down in Egypt. He has been been, uh, sold to Potiphar, and he's been in Potiphar's house. And he's worked his way to the top of Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's wife finds him attractive, and she wants to lay with him. And he refuses her, and he runs away with no clothes on, out of her presence. And she tells her husband, and he has Joseph thrown into prison. uh, Genesis chapter 40 is Joseph in prison. And you recall there in Genesis chapter 40 and verse 1 that in prison he meets the chief butler and the chief baker of Pharaoh. And they come to him one day and they are troubled. And he says, what is troubling you? What's the matter with you? And they said, we've both had a dream. And Joseph in Genesis chapter 40 and verse 8 says, tell me your dreams. Tell me your dreams. This is our word, and I just say it and explain it that way, because what is Joseph saying? He's saying, recount to me what you have dreamed. Tell me about your dream. The heavens recount. Day after day after day, they're telling again and again and again of the glory of God. I want to think about that when I look at the heavens. I want to think about God, and I want to think about the heavens declaring to me His glory. The firmament, the stars, the sky, that which is above us, it shows His handiwork. Again, it proclaims, it declares, they explain to us the glory of God. It's revealing to us His glory. Listen. You and I, we go about our day. I don't know if it's true with you, but I get so caught up in the day-to-day, so caught up in what's going on, so caught up in what's coming next, so caught up in what's going on inside my world and inside my house. Sometimes I don't go outside. I don't go outside to let the heavens talk. I don't go outside to let the heavens speak. We need to think about this in our day-to-day lives because the Bible says you go outside and you look up and the heavens are speaking to you. In verses 2 through 4, just look at the language words. Look at how he continues to explain this to us. You go outside, and he says, the, the heavens and the firmament, they have speech. They reveal knowledge. They have language. They have voice. Verse number 3. Verse number 4, their line, literally, their sound. Their sound has gone forth through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Look at all of the different words that are used there to tell us that God is speaking to you. He is telling you of His glory. You just go outside and look around and let it talk to you. I'm not saying it's audible. (laughs) Don't misunderstand. But there's a lot to be told when you go outside to think about and consider when it comes to God. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse number 4, at the end of verse number 4. In them, in the heavens, in the firmament, he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven, and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing that is hidden 
from its side. The heavens are talking. The firmament speaks. It is declaring again and again, recounting over and over the glory of God. But he says, don't don't just think about that. Think for a moment about that sun. Think for a moment about that sun that comes up and goes down every single day. Marking the beginning and the end of every single day. And don't you miss it. He says, that's talking to you. That sun is telling you about me. Somebody put it there. Somebody made it. And it better talk to you. You better be reminded of the sun. He uses two ways to explain the sun. I love this. Number one, he says, that sun, that sun is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Gentlemen, you who are married, you remember that day? You remember coming out of your chamber? You remember the joy and anticipation? I remember that being uh, fairly a, a daunting <laughs> a day where uh, all of a sudden the world of responsibility is placed on your shoulders, right? I remember that day thinking, wow, this is no longer just about me. Now it's us and, and the, the responsibility of being the man and having that placed on your shoulders. I am the head of a home. I am given that responsibility. And yet with that day came so much joy and anticipation. The joy of knowing that you're going to see your bride. The joy of knowing that she's going to walk down the aisle. The joy and anticipation of that union coming together. A day that you've been anticipating probably for a while. What a great day. The sun is like that, it says. The sun is like that every single day. The sun, he says, is like coming out of a tent, out of a tabernacle that God has made. It's coming out of the darkness and it rises. And then he says, it's going to run its circuit because it is like a strong runner. I have never been accused of being a strong runner. Ever. And I've run, believe it or not. I've had my day where I ran. I've told you before that in, uh, in seventh grade, I was a cross-country runner. In seventh grade, I went out for the cross-country team. And I thought it was going to be good, and it wasn't good. It was not good at all. I practiced every day, and I uh, prepared the best that I knew how. Sometimes I ran on Saturday mornings even. Days that we didn't have to get together, I thought I'd go out and do it anyway. And I ran races. I ran five races, the junior high cross-country season, five races. And I came in dead last in four. I'm not a runner. I've never been accused of being a strong runner. On race days, it was silly. Uh, when we were at home, uh, home, home meets, we would meet at the junior high after school, of course, and as the warm-up, we would jog down to the park where the cross-country course was. That was about a mile or so. I was toast before the race even started. I was like, well, what are we doing? Bust me down there and then let me run. Don't warm me up. i got to have everything i got. I was toast before the race even started. But I remember when the race was starting. I remember standing there. It's not like a track meet, right, where you're, you're on the track and you just have eight people across. This is a cross-country meet. You've got all these kids jammed into this starting place. The gun fires and everybody takes off at once. I remember the anticipation of the race beginning. It was my moment. 
It was my best moment. You know, the Bible says that the sun is like that every day. It's like that runner that's anticipating the race. The Bible says that when you see the sun begin to rise and you see the sun coming out of its tent, it's just going to continue, right? It's going to continue up and it's going to run its circuit. Here is scientific knowledge found in the Bible. It's going to run its circuit. That's what it's going to do. And the Bible says that over the course of the day, there is nothing hidden from its heat. It does not say light. There are places that are hidden from its light. You've been in a deep, dark cave before? You've gone down into Carlsbad Caverns? I'm telling you, there's no sunlight down there. There are places that are hidden from the light of the sun. But where there is heat, it is coming from the sun. There is nothing hidden from its heat. I'm reminding us, brethren, that, that this is the voice of God. No wonder Paul would say in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 that for since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen. They're clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. The heavens are talking. The earth is speaking. The creation around us, it is declaring over and over and over again the glory of God. God who made it. And God says, you are without excuse for knowing that I am here. For knowing that I made this. I have provided you this place to live. Man is completely without excuse for stopping his ears to the voice of creation. You are completely without excuse for just saying, no, there can't be a God. You are without excuse, the Bible says, because... The the heavens are screaming the glory of God. Just look around. Open your eyes and be honest enough with yourself to know you didn't make that. That didn't come from nothing. And that perfect design has a perfect designer. It's not hard. It's really not that complicated. The heavens are screaming The glory of God. The heavens are screaming that there is an awesome God. His creative revelation. But you see, that's not enough. And praise God, I mean, He knew that that's not enough. He said, that's enough for you to know. It should be enough because it's screaming to you. It's communicating to you my existence that should be telling you without, without any doubt that there is a God just by looking around at the things about you. But he says, that's not enough to really for you to know me and know who I am and everything you need. So he says, I will supply you with concrete revelation. So you have creative revelation. God's creative power demonstrated in the universe around us, in the world in which we live. The fact that we're not too close to the sun that we'd burn up or too far away that we would freeze. That we have everything we need in our atmosphere to be able to live and thrive and breathe. Something you don't have anywhere else. But he says, let me give you some concrete revelation. And these are the words that Brother Jim read for us from verse number 7 just a moment ago. The law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul. That's all I'm afraid we're going to have time to get to this morning. I just want to look at that 
part of verse number 7. And I want you to be reminded today, my friend, that the God who made the universe, the God who made you in His own image, is a God who communicates with you still today through this book, through His Word. That's what we find in Psalm 19 and verse 7. Now, what I love about Psalm 19 is it's so easily broken into two parts. You can see those first six verses that we examined just for a little bit. You can see that's all talking about God's creative communication, right? That's all God's creative power and His display of awesomeness in what He has made. He's communicating through His creation. And then this second part, beginning in verse number 7, the psalmist, he just does an immediate right turn. He's going one direction, and he just turns, and he goes this other direction, and he says, now, let me tell you about his communication with you directly through his word. That's what we find. His direct communication through his word. So that's what we find in verse number 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, communicating, converting rather, to the soul. Think about the power of God in creation. And then think about the power of God on display in His Word. What did Paul say in Romans 1 and verse 16? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's what? It's the power of God unto salvation. That's what we find in this book. The power of God unto salvation. You think about creation, and you think about God's love. God made this not for Himself. He created this for me. He created it for you. And what is the Bible? The Bible is a word that shows and demonstrates His love for you. I want you to know me. I want you to know what I've done for you. I want you to know the depths of my love for you. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. How I've demonstrated my love for you. And when I think about creation, I see the grace of God, don't you? This is God demonstrating His graciousness to us. Look what I have done for you. I've created all of this for you. Why? So that one day you can share in my glory. I want you to be with me. I have made you in my image. And of course, the word of His grace. Paul would call it in Acts chapter 20 and verse 32. This book in front of you is the Word of God's grace. This is extending myself to you. This is demonstrating my love for you. My grace being extended to you through the offering of my Son. But this Word tells you everything you need to know about me. It's an extension of His grace. I love you enough. I'm gracious enough to tell you where you came from, why you are here, and where you are going. Answers that you and I don't have without the Bible. We don't have that without the Bible. God says, I'm going to give you this concrete revelation. I'm going to show you. And isn't this going back all the way to the beginning? Do you see those verses at the bottom of the screen? Have you turned there yet? If you think about it this way, this Twofold communication of God, the creative and the concrete. It's right here in the beginning in Genesis chapter 2. 
You remember if you back up to verse number 7 that God, the Bible says, took dust of the ground and He formed it into a man and He breathed into the nostrils of man the breath of life and man became a living being. And then the Bible says in verse 8 that the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden and there He put the man whom He had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All right, now drop down to verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree in the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it... You shall surely die. Here are twofold communication of God. God formed man. He created him. He made the garden. He caused every tree to go grow out of the ground. This is God communicating his creative power. And then he takes the man and he puts the man in the garden. And he says to Adam, You can eat of any tree in the garden, but you shall not eat of that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat of it, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Adam was communicated with. Adam was able to look around and to see a world that he did not make. He was able to look around and see the blessings of God and the creation around him. He was able to see the power of God clearly on display in the universe that he had been placed in. And then God spoke to him. And then God told him directly, this is my law. This is my way. This is my will for you. So Adam, even from the beginning, had this twofold communication, right? And so we shouldn't be surprised that that's how God would continue to communicate with us even still today. This is what we find in His Word. So just go through that first little sentence. There's a little stanza of Psalm 19. Go back there and just go through it with me. And just look at these words for a minute. This is God. Think about it. This is God speaking to me. This is His concrete revelation to me. The law. The law of the Lord. I'm just going to give you some definitions that I hope will help you to understand what you have in front of you today. Whether you're looking at it on an electronic device, whether it's pages that are open in front of you, this is what you have. Number one, you have God's law. You have law. And this isn't a hard word for us to understand. We, we live in a world with laws and rules and regulations, and we understand it. God says, this is my instruction for you. These are my regulations. This is my teaching. I don't want you to miss it. All right, I want you to see this. I want you to have instruction. I want you to understand my regulation. In Genesis chapter 26 and verse 5, God is speaking directly to Isaac. Have you ever stopped to think about that? I mean, God talking to you directly. <laughs> I, I just can't imagine what that was like. I just can't even begin to wrap my mind around. The Bible says that God spoke directly to Adam. God spoke directly to Abraham. Here in Genesis chapter 26 and verse 5, God is talking directly to Isaac. Isaac is having a conversation audibly with God. Amazing to think about. 
But I digress. Isaac, Abraham kept my laws. He listened and obeyed my voice, and he kept my laws. And because of what Abraham did, Isaac, now the promise comes to you. Now you are going to get to enter into the promised land. But he tells him, he kept my law. He kept my instruction, my teaching, my regulations. So, was Abraham under law? Shake your head like this. Yes, he was. That's what the Bible says. And then you get to Moses, right? And you remember that Moses went up onto Mount Sinai. And what did God deliver to Moses? He delivered law, instruction, regulations. He gave him the law. In fact, references to the law throughout the New Testament refer back generally to the law of Moses, the Mosaic law. So you have this period of God speaking directly to the patriarch of the family, the head of the family, and He gives them law. And then you move along in time and you get to Moses and God is delivering law. Now He's not talking audibly. Now He's speaking to Moses, but Moses, write it down and give it to the people. Write it down so they can have it. But they have law, instruction, teaching, regulations. Are we still under law today? Shake your head like this. Yes, we are. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill what? The law of Christ. The law of Christ. And so, no matter going through the patriarchal period, the mosaic period, or now in the Christian age, we are under law. God has delivered that to us in the Bible. Concrete revelation. This is what you need to know me. In every dispensation of time, God has given law. Now, don't miss this, because it's not mine, and it's not yours. The law, the psalmist said in Psalm 19 and verse 7, are you following along? The law of the Lord. Some people miss it. I don't want to miss that. I want to understand that that word of is just two little letters. And sometimes I get to, I get, you know, my, my wife and son sometimes are like, Dad, why do you say it? Why do you say it? And it goes back to when I was in preacher's training school. My English grammar teacher, uh, Brother Max, was such a wonderful man. And he said, of. You have to say of. All right, of. I don't care. I don't care how you say it. But you understand it. O-F designates what? Possession. This is the suit coat of Adam. It's mine. It's mine. I've had it for a really, really long time. It's mine. The coat of Adam. It shows possession. This is the law that belongs to God. It's not yours and it's not mine. It's His. And I need to be very serious about that. But something interesting happens here in Psalm 19. Something interesting happens with the name of God. In verse 1, what does the Bible say? The heavens declare the glory of God. G-O-D. God. L. The singular form of Elohim. Elohim being plural. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1 and verse 1. El. The heavens declare the glory of God. 
It demonstrates the power. It's a name that speaks to the might and the power of God. Genesis 1 and verse 1. Psalm 19 and verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of almighty, powerful God. But Psalm 19 and verse 7. The law of the Lord. It's a different name. It's still God, but it's a different name of God. It's designating a different characteristic of God. The law of the Lord. Lord Jehovah. Yahweh. Exodus chapter 3. The I Am. It is the relationship name of God. This is important. God says, I have given you my law. For what? Relationship. We're about to get there. It's about to what I want to say. But I get it. And don't miss it. Look for these things in your study. This is very important for us to get. The law of the Lord. The Lord has law. And it is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. It's blameless. It's unblemished. It is without defect. It is whole. I really appreciate, James, what you had to say today to help us in our worship as we surrounded the table to think about the sacrifice of Jesus. He is our Passover. That's what Paul said, and I appreciate James bringing that out. When we think about the Passover, we need to think about this idea. Perfect. Perfection. Because God said in delivering His law, His command, His regulation and instruction to Moses to give to the people that day, He says, you shall kill a one-year lamb without blemish. Same word. It's the same idea. And you say, I, I can't imagine you know, giving God a lamb that was lame. I can't imagine giving God one that was blind. I can't imagine that God would have been happy with that at all. And guess what? He wouldn't have. It's not what He asked for. Now, can you imagine God giving us a word that is incomplete? Can you imagine God giving us a word that, uh, that, that isn't useful? That God communicates with us with something that has defect? Something that is incomplete? Something that God would say, well, you know, this will give you a good start, but, you know, you're going to have to add some more on your own. You know, go figure it out for yourself. He's not going to do that, right? And so he hasn't. Because the law of the Lord is perfect. I don't need to add anything to it. And I better not take anything away from it. It is perfect. That's the idea of Psalm 19 and verse 7. You see, when I look into the pages of God's Word, I want to be reminded that this is His law. It belongs to Him And because it belongs to Him, it is perfect. There is no need for me to change it. Paul uses that same idea of the perfect in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 10 when he talks about miracles coming to an end. Hey, look, there's a time coming when the perfect will come and that which is in part will be done away with. He's talking about the age of miracles. They're going to go away. You're not going to need it anymore because you're going to have complete everything you need. The faith, once for all, delivered to the saints. Jude 3. That's what we have in front of us. That's what I'm looking at today. That's what I have the pleasure of studying. That's what God has given me, that I can know Him. 
It's perfect. And here's the final stanza, right? Here's the final phrase. Converts the soul. Now, as you look into your copy of God's Word, you say, Adam, I don't have that word. I don't have that word, converting. You've got different words. Perhaps you have the word reviving, reviving the soul. Or maybe you have the word restoring. It restores the soul. I've given you definitions there in quotes to kind of give you an idea of what that word is is saying because clearly it's somewhat difficult to translate. The idea of that word? Return. To bring back. It's the idea of repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is the idea of turning around. You're going one direction, and a change of heart leads to a change of life, and you turn around, and you go the other direction. What does the Word of God do? What does the law of the Lord do? The perfect law of the Lord, what does it do? It brings me back. It turns me around. It returns me to God. That's what the law of the Lord is intended to do. As I sin and go away from God, then I read the pages of His Word. He communicates with me in this way, and I turn my life back to Him. That's what the Word of God does. That's what it's intended to do. That's what it better do. That's what it has to do to you and to me. It has to turn us around. That word, that same word is found twice in Genesis 3 and verse 19. This is not in connection to the Word of God. I just want to show you the Word itself because this helps maybe to understand. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19, sin has entered the world. God has doled out punishment to Eve. He's doled out punishment to the serpent. And then He turns to Adam. In verse number 17, He turns to Adam and He says, Because you've heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, law, broken law, cursed is the ground for your sake, in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. Listen, 19. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you, underline it, return to the ground from out of which you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. You were brought from it. You have changed, but you're going back. That's that word. Convert. Restore. Revive. I made you. You chose to go away, but my law in its intended design is to turn you around, to bring you back. You look at creation, and God says, you can know that I exist. You better know that I exist. In fact, you are without excuse if you fail to see me and the power that I have by looking around you. But I am a God who has given you law. And all I want, all I want is to have a relationship with you. All I want is for your restoration. That's all I desire. That's what I've come to tell you today. 
This is it. I've come to tell you from Psalm 19, looking at verse number 7, not my words, but His. They demonstrate perfectly. God says, you can see me. I'm communicating to you. Look around. You live in a galaxy that would take you 20 billion light years to travel across. Don't doubt my existence. Don't doubt my power. Don't doubt me. But I have given you, you, the crown of my creation, my law. My word. Why? Because I desire a relationship with you. That's what it is. That's all I want. Is your restoration. That's all I'm after. Is to have a relationship with you. It seems to me that's what the psalmist is bringing out. In the first part of Psalm 19 and verse 7. It took us a while to get there. But doesn't it seem that that's the point? God says, I want you to see me. And so I turn to the pages of the New Testament as I close this morning. I go over to 2 Peter chapter 3. and Well, it seems to me that Peter is taking a page right out of the psalmist's playbook. In the days of Peter, the Christians were being mocked because people were asking, where is this Lord? Where is Jesus? He's gone away and you keep claiming that He's coming back. Why hasn't He come back? Maybe you missed it or maybe He's really not going to. And they're mocking Christians. So Peter says, you just keep this in mind. In verse number 5, this is what they, the mockers, this is what they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. God isn't physical. God isn't like you and me. God isn't bound by morning and evening. He's not bound by time. Verse number 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. Peter says, look around you and think about God. Look around you and be reminded that there is a God who spoke and this earth that you see it rose out of the water by the Word of God. God spoke and that's exactly what happened. And then by that same Word, by that same power, Elohim, El, water came back over the earth and flooded the earth. And by that same word, by that same power, the earth waits now until God speaks and destroys it with fire in the day of judgment. See the power of God. Look at creation and don't miss Him. Look around you and understand that there is a God and you are without excuse if you miss it. Creative revelation. But no God, no God in His concrete revelation. God who desires for you not to perish. 
God who desires for all to come to repentance. How do I know about repentance? How do I know how to turn back? How do I know what God demands? How do I know how I can have a relationship with Him? Right there. You don't need anything else. This is it. This is my perfect law, God says. It belongs to me. Don't you change it. Don't you add to it. Don't you take away from it. Just come back to me. God is speaking. Are you listening? God is speaking. Are you listening? All He desires is for your restoration. All He desires is for you to have a relationship with Him. And He has given you, my friend, everything you need to know exactly how to do just that. Do you believe today that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? How do I know about Jesus Christ in His Word? How do I know what God demands of me in order to be saved? I look in the pages of His Word. I don't give you my opinion. I don't give you my law. I look at what He says. And what He says is, you need to believe in my Son. God says, you need to believe that my Son is Jesus Christ. You need to be willing to repent of sin in your life, to turn away from it and come to me. Obey me. You need to be willing to confess with your mouth your faith in Jesus as the Son of God. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. And you need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. That's where you'll meet that blood. And that's where your sins are washed away. Acts 22 and verse 16. This morning, if you're not faithful to God, He desires your restoration. We want to help you any way that we can. We love you. We're so glad that you're here. We want to uh, explain the Bible to you. If you have questions, we want to help you in any way. This morning, if you're not a child of God, come to Him. And if you're a child of God who has wandered away, then please come back. If you need to respond, the invitation is open of the Lord. Please come while together we stand and while we sing.